Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. This past week, we have certainly been praying for those in Florida who were hit and impacted by the hurricane, and I want to continue to do that. We have, uh, my cousins are down there, and their house uh, was was impacted significantly, and I know many of you all here today have friends and family members uh, likely who were impacted as well, so certainly we continue to pray for those and, and for all of the efforts of recovery and restoration in the aftermath. I was thinking this week about hurricanes, and we don't experience those here. Maybe some of you have lived closer to the coast than you have, but we experience tornadoes. And so I have had that experience, as uh, likely you all have in this area as well. And there's something about these kind of, of storms and what would be called natural disasters that very much reveal our vulnerability as humans. Uh, we were very vulnerable, uh, and that is something that we see at the beginning. Uh, this, this past week, I spoke at the Pregnancy Care Center, and we were looking at these pictures of these tiny little babies that need so much protection. They need so much care from the very beginning, and yet that vulnerability doesn't go away. I mean, obviously, we grow in different ways, but we continue to be very vulnerable creatures, and we see that in the scriptures. We see the scriptures reminding us, actually, of how vulnerable we are. And the intent of that is to lead us to humility. That we would see uh, these examples the scripture gives of us being like grass, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, like a vapor of breath. Uh, that this would lead us to humble ourselves and to acknowledge that out of this vulnerability, out of this need, that we are meant to look to God. We're meant to trust in him for his provision and protection. Um, and, and yet what we see is that there are many other ways that the, the reality of this vulnerability, the reality of our needs can lead us. There are many ways that other voices can kind of speak out and call us into these kind of self-protective efforts at different levels uh, that end up being destructive to us and to others. And so it's very important throughout the scripture that that because we're vulnerable to the influence of these voices, that we, we are very cautious and very discerning about what voice we're listening to, what, the, what, what it is that we're getting involved in. And so what we find in John chapter 10, and we've been going through the gospel of John. For those of you who are new, uh, welcome. So glad you're here this morning. We've been going through the gospel of John in a series called Reframing Jesus. And so our goal is that we would not focus on a a version of Jesus, maybe that we've just had grown up with, or maybe that's been handed down to us, but that we would reframe our vision of Jesus, who he is, around who the scriptures actually reveal him to be. And the image of Jesus that we have been looking at and seeing most recently in John chapter 10 is that of the good shepherd. That this is this image of Jesus. And we know In the early church, this was a major understanding, a way that Jesus was referred to 
in the early church, when we see these early pictures in the first few centuries of the church, they would depict Jesus as the good shepherd who cares for the sheep. And so this is who we are seeing Jesus through John's gospel. And I hope that we're considering what this means for us. Jesus being our good shepherd, us being his sheep who need his care. Well, as we move through John chapter 10, I want us to consider two primary things that we're going to see in this chapter. First is the revelation, and the first revelation we're going to find is of the identity of the shepherd. The revelation of the identity of the shepherd. Verse 24, we read, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So this is the voice of these Jews, and we know that when we read the word Jews in John's gospel, this is not referring to all Jews broadly, but there is a group of Jewish leaders or Judean leaders, is another way of translating that, uh, that have been engaging with Jesus, right, throughout this section. And so they are surrounding Jesus, and they are calling for him to tell us plainly if he is the Messiah. Now, There have been examples that we've seen in John's gospel where he has revealed himself to be the Messiah. The first of those, if you've been here for maybe a couple months, you remember who was was the first person who Jesus revealed his identity as the Messiah to? The Samaritan woman, right? The woman at the well. That was the first person who Jesus revealed his identity as the Messiah to. And she took that message And was the first missionary. She went to the Samaritan people and she reported to them that the Messiah was here, that Jesus was this Messiah. And so we've seen examples of this where Jesus has revealed his identity. But what he has not done is revealed it publicly and clearly in an environment with these Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. He has not stood and declared himself in this public context to be the Messiah. Now, there's a reason for that. Uh, and I want us to think about what we know. So maybe if you've been around the church, what you know about what the Jews in Jerusalem were expecting the Messiah to be. What kind of figure were they expecting the Messiah to be? Political one, right? Absolutely. And there is a major theme throughout the New Testament that is being very clear to contrast this this expectation of a political leader and a military leader versus what Jesus actually came to be, right? What the Messiah actually meant. And so the military political expectations of the Messiah were out there, but even more so because of the exact day and time in which this passage is taking place. So this is happening, our text tells us, in the winter at the Feast of Dedication. Does anyone know what the Feast of Dedication is referred to today. Hanukkah, right? So you've probably heard of of Hanukkah. And the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, was the celebration of something that had taken place about 150 years before the time of Jesus. Antiochus Epiphanes uh, came in, and he was a Syrian, and he overthrew Jerusalem. And he and his forces went into the temple and they desecrated and defiled the temple. They replaced the altar of God with a pagan altar and essentially shut down this system of worship, right? That was oriented around the temple. Well, over the course of a couple years, uh, a man named Judas Maccabeus uh, 
comes and leads the Maccabean Revolt. You may have heard about this, and, and historians believe this is where guerrilla warfare began, was among the Jews in this Maccabean Revolt. And so this uprising ultimately led to conquering um, the, the Syrians and, and removing uh, Antiochus Epiphanes out of this area, and then they reconsecrated the temple. And so this, this Hanukkah is tied to this word for hagias or uh, uh, consecration. We, we obviously translate it today as dedication, right? So, so if this is kind of the historical context, hang with me now, if you guys hate history, come back in here. Uh, and that is important because if the expectations were that the Messiah would be somewhat like what that had been, right? This Maccabean revolt. That's really very much what they're expecting. And now it's not Antiochus Epiphanes, but they want Rome, right, to be removed. And they want freedom from that. Then if Jesus just says, I'm the Messiah, in that kind of a context, this is, this is a bomb, right? This is going to have massive implications. And so, and so this is where I think you have the nuance of Jesus revealing his identity. Now, so after all of that, we pick up verse 25. Jesus says, I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them, the works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. And so while he had not clearly publicly identified himself with that word of the Messiah or this anointed king, what is it that he says you should have seen that revealed my identity? The works, right? So the things that I have done. Now, John's gospel from John 5 to John 10 is very much, we've talked about this a lot, set against the backdrop of Ezekiel and Ezekiel 34 through 36. And the shepherd imagery is really significant. Um, and in this backdrop, we see that the shepherds, which was the leaders that were placed over God's people, were they good shepherds or bad shepherds in Ezekiel? They were bad, right? And the concept was they are mistreating the sheep. They're not caring for the sheep. In fact, they are harming the sheep. And so God promises that one day he is going to come as the good shepherd and he is going to rescue his sheep from the mouth of the supposed shepherds, but they're actually wolves, right? So Jesus is coming as this good shepherd and he is coming into this context in the temple in Jerusalem with those who are, who are referred to as shepherds. And yet what he is doing as the good shepherd is he is rescuing his sheep. He is bringing them out of the corruption, right, out of all of this context. And, and in, in contrast to the bad shepherds who are harming the sheep or failing to care for the sheep, what has Jesus done to the sheep that were broken, the sheep that were blind, the sheep that were lame? He's healed them, Right? And this is exactly what Ezekiel said, that as the good shepherd, and by the way, that was a Messiah reference, and in Isaiah as well. So the, the shepherd, when he said earlier in John 10, I'm the good shepherd, if they knew their scriptures, they're picking up. This is messianic language, but also he has actually cared for the sheep. He has actually healed the sheep that were broken. And so in this, he is, he is revealing his identity as the good shepherd, as the Messiah. And so it is this revelation of the identity of the shepherd uh, that, that John's gospel is making clear. But secondly, we're going to see the revelation, not only of the identity of the shepherd, but of the 
sheep. So verse 26, Jesus says, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. So what is true about Jesus, his identity, who he is, the fact that he represents the heart of God, it should have been clear, and even that he was this Messiah. But in spite of the clarity of revelation, they don't see it, right? They don't, they don't see it. And the reason is because it doesn't fit their expectations, right? It doesn't fit the categories that they have of, of again, what the Messiah is going to be, what he's going to do. But also because the, the laws, which they are overseers of, in, in some ways, are, are being broken. And we see this because, well, we'll talk more about this later. But So because of all of this, they don't see what should be obvious, right? And yet what Jesus is saying is the fact that they are rejecting him, they're not seeing what should be clear and humbling themselves. And, and this is the shepherd who's to be their shepherd as well, right? And following him to this life and life abundant. It is revealing these external rejections are revealing the internal condition that they're not his sheep, right? And this is the evidence at the end of the day of the sheep is they follow the voice of the shepherd. And those who don't, right, are revealing that internally they are, they are not his sheep. Uh, so he says, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So just to put it very clearly and simply, how do you know who the sheep are? They follow Jesus, right? I think this is very important because in our context, we're, I'm, I'm bringing this into today, right? We have all these contexts and all these words that and experiences and different things that we point to. But very simply, what Jesus says is those who are my sheep, they hear my voice and they follow me. Right, and there is this revelation of this of this internal condition uh, that's that's visible, that's seen. We 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 know that, and again, if you because there is an overlap between rabbinical and disciple language from first century Jewish context and this sheep and shepherd, and so the way did you have to wonder who was actually a disciple of a particular rabbi? You didn't, right? They followed the rabbi, they did what he did, they oriented their life around his yoke or his way of living. It was obvious. And so this is what Jesus is, is saying, that there is, a, there is a clarity or a revelation, if you will, um, that those who, who trust Jesus as their shepherd are those who follow him as his sheep. He says this in John 14, so in just a couple of chapters later, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will Keep my command. So is this simply, is loving Jesus simply something that's internal? It's not, right? Now, it's not that that doesn't matter, but it's ultimately something that is revealed in that we, we keep his commands, right? There's, there's this, this uh, expression of that that is, that is clear, that the sheep are those who hear Jesus and they follow him. Uh, secondly, we're going to see, first we've seen the revelation. Secondly, we're going to see a relationship. And a relationship first between the son and his father. And I needed to capitalize father there. I didn't, so I will correct that later. I and the father, verse 30, are one. So this is, this is the, we're jumping down in our passage, but this is the summary of how Jesus identifies his relationship with the father. 
that they are one. There is this unity between the Father and the Son. Now, this group of Jewish leaders hear that, and what do they do? Right? To, to quote the old salsa commercial, you know, get a rope, right? <laughs> they are ready to get rid of this guy. And because they see what he's saying as blasphemy. And we're, we're going to see this in Jesus' response. Jesus replied, verse 32, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you stoning me? Now, this is where we have to take off maybe sometimes our, our glasses of how we've historically read these passages or just kind of assume certain things. Um, and, and just let it be kind of common sense. What are the kinds of things that Jesus has done that have made these Jewish leaders mad? Healing. Just let that soak in for a second. The things that they are so mad that they are ready to kill him over and ultimately will are healings of people who clearly needed healing, right? And so when you're able to just remove all of that and just like consider this honestly, that's crazy, right? And, and he's saying, of these good things that I've done, as I've taught and healed and cared for the sheep, which one of these things are you ready to kill me for? Now, I have experienced with my children there is a way of twisting things that they do, and there's always a good reason why they do something, right? Does anybody else have that in their family? There's always, you know, there's always some good intent, right? <laughs> that somebody, if I could just see it uh, from their point of view, you know, and, and yet that's not what we have here, right? This is not Jesus. This, is, this should be obvious. This should be very clear, and yet they respond to this what should be a clear statement um, in verse 33, we aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Now, this relationship, he says, I and the Father are one. Uh, this is a relationship that we, in, in kind of our church context, refer to as the Trinity, the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And it is a relationship of unity. So when we look back here, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, the Shema, that is maintained, the unity, the oneness of God. And yet what we find is that there is also diversity that is present. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Spirit is not. So, so there is a way in which there is this unity among diversity at some level. And I'm not going to do any illustrations or examples of, of that because it's a reality that's, that's beyond what we can just comprehend. And yet there is this unity. And this is what Jesus is saying. Um, and, and so he is, is defining himself within this relationship, right? And so verse 36, do you say you are blaspheming the one the father set apart and sent into the world because I said, I am the son of God. Um, so in this, in this context, it's important to understand 
the word that Jesus is using there and what it means for the context. So what festival did I say is taking place? Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedication, right? That word dedication is also consecration. When Jesus is is dealing with these charges, he's going to refer back to that word set apart in our Bibles is that same word, right? So the word that we get Hanukkah from, all of that, it's the same word. Now, Jesus... um, Man, there's a lot here. But Jesus is, he, he quotes right before this, he quotes uh, Psalm 38, which would have been a psalm that would have been used at the Feast of Dedication. And what he says in that psalm is that there, when, when they refer to the people who revealed the message of God in the psalms, the words of God, they called them gods, right? So your own scriptures have this example of people who reveal the word of God being called Elohim or gods, right? And so there's a lot there. But what I want us to see is there's a category. He's saying in your scriptures, there's a category for not God the Father being referred to with that word. And so how much more, if that's true of these people who delivered the message and the words of God in the Psalms, how much more the Son of God who was sent as this ultimate revelation of God and his purposes, and his intents, and his plans, and, and the ultimate revelation, right? That this full revelation of the Father in this way. So it's kind of this lesser, greater, lesser, however that works, argument. Okay, so that's, the, that's what he's, and, and now he is, he, is, he is defining this, verse 37. I, if I'm not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I'm doing them, and you don't believe me, believe the works, This way you will know that I, and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father, right? The Father is in me and I in the Father. And the way we know this is because everything Jesus does is the will of who? Father, not my will, but yours be done. There is the will of the Father, the desires of the Father, the purposes of the Father, which are perfectly carried out by the Son, and this unity of purpose that everything Jesus does is, is the revelation and the fulfillment of the plans of God, right? It is, it is this unity that, that we're meant to see. Um, and so this, this perfect, again, do we see this? There's this, he's saying the evidence is not just in me doing tricks because that's what they want, signs and all of these kind of things. The evidence is that I'm doing what God is doing. Right, that I'm committed to the purposes of God, that there's perfect unity that is revealed. Now, secondly, not only the relationship between the father and the son, but between the shepherd and his sheep. To jump back, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now, the imagery of a shepherd and sheep, again, is the backdrop of all of this. And Jesus has been talking throughout John's gospel about thieves and robbers and about wolves. What do thieves and robbers and wolves all have in common? What is their intent for the sheep? Harm. In one way or another, 
And Jesus, as the good shepherd, protects his sheep from those who would do them harm. That make sense? I still remember when I went to Kenya, this has been a lot of years ago, and I saw the shepherds carrying spears, and they were these big old, just bulky dudes. And it totally destroyed my, you know, previous understanding of what a shepherd was. It's like they are going to do some damage, right, to anything that's going to get in the way of their... And, and this is what we see, that, that as the good shepherd, that he is able to provide for the security and the protection and the provision of his sheep up against anything that would come against them, anything that would intend to do them harm. Now, this is where I want to turn this to us today. So if we have trusted in Jesus, right, the one who came as the good shepherd, and ultimately the one who demonstrated that he was the good shepherd, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It was ultimately in the cross, in laying down his life for the sheep, that he demonstrated that he is trustworthy, that he is worthy, right, of our trust, of our following him. And, and it was not, once again, the purposes of God were not carried about through this uprising of conquering militarily, but they were accomplished through Jesus ultimately being conquered, being the suffering servant who would shed his own blood so that we those who trust in him and his sacrifice on our behalf could know, right, could have the confidence and the assurance that we have been cleansed. And this is the imagery because the consecration that happened at the temple uh, that ultimately Hanukkah celebrated was, was removing what was impure and bringing purity so that what was the purpose of the temple to begin with? Right, the worship of God, this encounter of the the presence of God, right, all of this, that that could happen. Jesus is bringing about the fullness of that, so that all that was unclean, not in the temple and the altar, and you know all that that had been done to defile that, but what was unclean in us. Does that make sense? Which is our sin. That his blood covers and purifies us of our sin, of all of the things that keep us from being able to experience the presence of God. So that now, right, and so Jesus is the full uh, expression of the temple. He brings about this worship and this connection with God that, that again, is not tied to a place or a building or, or anything along those lines. By purifying us with his blood and by joining us to him as this living temple, these living stones. There's so much here. If only I had a couple hours. But, but that we would, the spirit of God would come because we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ and indwell us, fill us, so that we could now join in the purposes of God, right? Growing and spreading on earth uh, through us. And in all of this, it says that the, The stone that was rejected, the stone that the builders rejected, which is ultimately what happened at the cross. These leaders, they rejected Jesus. They they ultimately crucified him. The stone that was rejected has become the chief cornerstone, has been raised up. And so out of death, this death of suffering and agony and shame on the cross, ultimately 
resulted in what? The resurrection, right? Being raised up as he actually was the, the chief. He actually was the one who God had sent, right? And, and that the purposes of God were not stopped by all of the evil and all of the rejection, all that was aimed against him, but they were accomplished through it. And so he is now, the one who was rejected is now, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Do we see this? He's, and that's how God works. And so what this means is we can have security. If we're his sheep, and we trust in him, we can have security even when everything's against us, right? Even when things don't go the way we think that they should. Because guess what? It's a broken world, right? It's a fallen world. These things happen. And, and yet what the cross shows us is God does not remain distant from that. Do we see that? Why do all these things happen? And does God love me? And if he loves me, why would all these things happen? And there's all these questions that we throw. But here's what the cross tells us. It, he, it isn't that he doesn't care. Because he experienced that suffering. He, he entered into that suffering with us. And ultimately, the pathway through the cross leads to resurrection. Do we see this? And so in the midst of this suffering, because all who follow Jesus, all, are, all who are his sheep will follow the same path. We will experience cross, right? We will experience rejection. We've, we will experience, so he's promised it. In this world, right? We will experience suffering. We will experience agony. He says, I promise you, it's coming. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so in the midst of this, when we're drawn to fear or questioning his love or questioning his purposes or questioning the outcomes, we are reminded, no, our shepherd has conquered all of the enemies that stand against us, including death, right? Which the, the final enemy, as the scriptures say. And, and in him, in the security of his care for us, his flock, right? We have this confidence that there's nothing. And this is, I'm gonna close with Paul's words and the band can come up. Romans eight thirty eight. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is, what is excluded? What is not on this list? <laughs> what is it that can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Nothing, right? That's what Paul, like... Nothing, that's the idea. That there is such security because those who are in Christ, Jesus says, are also in this relationship between the Father and the Son. There's this perfect security that's maintained. And death itself will not take that away. Right, so we have this confidence and this certainty and this security. And so we think about, we sang at the beginning, we know the world's broken, but we know our shepherd is worthy. Right? He's worthy. And the way that we reveal the worth and the power of our shepherd is through living in that security. Do we see that? Because when we're able to actually have security and peace in the midst of all of the chaos and all of the difficulties and all the things life throws at us, it reveals the worthiness of our shepherd. Right? We are this living testimony that our shepherd is good, that we can trust him, that he's powerful, that nothing can separate us from his love. I just want to invite us just as we respond to ask ourselves that question. First, first, the question is, are we following Jesus as our shepherd?
Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.